So this morning, it's uh, my honor to have Hal Farnsworth, who's senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian, to introduce him, and he's going to be sharing the word this morning, uh, if you didn't get the notification uh, as it went out this week, but started to get to know Hal a little bit through, um, we're, we're part of this racial reconciliation group that's uh, a gathering of senior pastors and, and other pastors in the, in the area, and uh, just got to spend, be around Hal, and then we, we've gone to lunch a few times, and Hal's been just really such a blessing to me, um, just being able to spend time with him. You know, you always, you know, I'm 41. I feel like it's, I've lived a lot of years in some ways, but I also realize like that's, that's still really young, you know, and so you, I, I want to glean wisdom from these guys that have paved the way for us, for us young guys, and it just has a lot, have a lot of experience. So how has been a really, a huge blessing to me. Also, you know, just getting outside perspectives, you know, you, you, uh, everybody needs to be able to see outside of their own world, you know, and, but Hal's been amazing. And we, we also have good, dear friends that go to Redeemer, uh, Brian and Lisa Miller. They love Hal. Brian and Lisa say they love Hal, then he must be okay. And so, uh, but Hal's, Hal's amazing and just so thankful for uh, your friendship, Hal, so come on up, man. I want to pray for you as, as you come up. Father, we pray just for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge of God. We ask that you, under, that you open the eyes of our understanding, Father. And Father, we just, we thank you for the word uh, that you put in, in Hal's heart. And Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just quicken to us the grace that accompanies your word. We thank you for it, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Travis. You know, Travis, I was 41 years old when I came to Athens to start Redeemer. Uh, life, life goes fast, doesn't it? Uh, and that's one of the reasons that uh, we preach the gospel, because there's a world to come. Um, <clears throat> first, let me say I'm honored to be here. I know a number of you. I know the Gautneys. Uh, uh, I know Jesse, he stole one of our church members by marriage. <laughs> uh, and I love, I love both Travis and Jesse and Gracie and the Gautneys. So what an honor, what a privilege it is to be here. You know, I have, I have three ministers besides myself at Redeemer. And uh, I let them preach a lot. And one of the reasons I do that is because um, they need to learn, right? They, you should equip people the next generation to be faithful to the orthodox faith that Christ was crucified, buried, raised, and is coming again. And uh, so they get to preach a lot. And, uh, but for Travis to let me come into his pulpit and preach, y'all need to know that says a lot about your pastor. There's a humility that's there because it's not about Redeemer Presbyterian Church. It's not about the awakening. Uh, we are one body around the world that are united to Jesus Christ. And we're here to build God's kingdom, not Redeemer, uh, and not, uh, not the awakening, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we, we're all to be salt and light. And uh, so, um, and I think a wonderful thing really is happening in, in Athens. John, you've been part of that. 
A lot of churches are, are, are less territorial. Now, I think, we need, I think we need to be precise about what we believe. I think that allows us to have fellowship together, right? I mean, it, it, there are different groups because people look at scriptures differently. But uh, if we can say the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and we say it every Sunday. So that everybody knows that we're part of the church universal. Um, then um, I, I think uh, uh, if we know what we believe, then it allows us to be uh, involved in, and encourage other believers who are preaching the gospel to preach that gospel, right? And I really believe that is happening, and I'm not a sentimentalist. And uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful to be here. Y'all believe me? Is that sincere enough? Okay. <laughs> I'm not used to holding a mic like this. I felt like I'm at the Johnny Carson show. But uh, uh, <clears throat> so, so when he asked me to, to speak uh, several months ago, I thought, well, what will I speak to these people on? The Bible's a very thick book. There's a lots of sermons in the Bible. And uh, after I preach, uh, I might never be, ever be asked to preach again. But uh, um, so I thought, what is it that I would like to say to my brothers and sisters in Christ? And maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you're struggling with what the faith means. And so I thought, well, I certainly want to encourage you. Uh, the faithful minister is always preaching two things. He's preaching the law, and he's preaching gospel. They go hand, you can't preach the gospel without the law. And if you preach the law without the gospel, then you create a bunch of unhappy people. Okay? And... Uh, so here, so I want to look at a passage <clears throat> that you're familiar with. Now, I was told I have an hour to preach. Good news. It won't take me that long. But uh, I wanted to look at a passage that you are familiar with, which is the coming of the storm in Mark chapter 4. It's also in the other Gospels as well, in the synoptics. And, uh, and as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of theological context. Can I, can I do a little theology here, just a little bit? Because I got to... Every text is in the context of the big context, okay? And everybody's a theologian around the world. You're either a good one or a bad one, okay? Good theology brings transformation. It makes you willing to do things that you would never have been willing to do before. Bad theology just goes, well, whatever, okay? <clears throat> so so here's, here's kind of a context. The reason that Travis asked me to preach is because he's evangelical. Okay? Yeah, anybody ever heard that word evangelical? But that, it sh it's sad. The, the word has become a political movement. So you, you can't use that word anymore, but it means euangelion. It comes from the Greek word uh, to proclaim. So here's what Travis and I believe, and this is why he's going to let me in the pulpit, is we believe in the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the creator of heavens and the earth. Uh, and he created the world out of nothing. He spoke in the world. It's not this transcendent material universe. And when he created, everything he created was good, right? And then he created human beings in his image to bear his image, uh, to expand uh, his reign and to be vice regents as male and female together uh, as, we, as great stewards and, uh, and so, of course, we know the story, and I believe in a little Adam and Eve, and if you don't, I would love to talk to you about that and, and just to show you how significant it is that you believe that. Because Paul calls Christ the second Adam. But here's what happened. In, in the first Adam, we were, it's just very, it's, 
Theologians have bannered about this for thousands of years, but when Adam was our representative head, that's just very clear. It's called federal headship. If uh, one of our presidents says you go to war, you go to war, and there will be all kinds of consequences that will affect your life because he makes decisions. Well, Adam was the federal head. And so God uh, structures all of history through this thing called a covenant that is what structures history. And there are different views of history. There's a kind of, a, kind of a, an Eastern view that is cyclical, right? Have you ever seen the end and the end? It's just kind of the never-ending Star Wars, the Force thing. And so, uh, and that affects how we live our lives. And so uh, those, uh, there were those who drank sake and jumped in airplanes and, and killed themselves for the sake, uh, because the idea was, I'll come back. Ancestor worship. Okay, I'm, and and uh, so, but the, but the point is not to knock it. The point is h- how you view history affects your life. Could you agree with that? And I could give you different views of history, but the one that you're probably getting if you go to the university, and I used to be a campus minister, a chaplain at Vanderbilt University, used to do these debates all the time. Uh, <clears throat> but it's a, what you call an existential view of history. It is that there is no point to history, right? The, if everything is just kind of, we don't know where it came from, and we don't know where it's headed, then everybody creates their own reality. And I'm going to tell you, that's how most of us live. And so, <laughs> so we make a mess out of our lives, okay? Now, but what really structures history is the covenant that God made with, with Adam. And that's called the covenant of works. Adam and Eve were in some way on a probation to open up eternal life for us. There was a tree in the garden, all that good stuff. But there was a probation period. But understand this, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, uh, when, then we sinned in Adam. Adam was a representative head. <laughs> and so that covenant, it's called the covenant of works. I know this is a long explanation. Y'all follow me here? Good. By that covenant, no one will be justified. So if you want to divide the Bible up, it's divided up in two parts. Genesis 1 through 3 and the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 3 tells you why everything is so screwed up. The relationships between men and women, the relationships between nations, and the reason that we, uh, you know, stick our own people groups and all this kind of stuff is because the covenant has been broken. Okay? And so the question ends up being, well, if we all died in Adam, and that's very clear in the Bible, that you ever get to the point where you know something's kind of screwed up about you? You got to that point yet? Something's really not right with me. Even if you're not a Christian, you create your own laws. And so there's a kind of a pathology that we all have this down deep. Even the strongest Christian, down deep, we never want to be exposed for who we really are. I don't care how committed, I don't care if you're charismatic or, you know, you know the frozen chosen Presbyterians. Doesn't matter to me. I don't care how much you know or how much you experience. Down deep, we know that we would not want to be known. Down deep. We want to be known, don't we? But here's the good news. The good news is Christ knows us all the way to the bottom. And he says, you no longer have to be an Adam. You can be in me. And you don't have to hide. You can hide from everybody else because we're all hiding. I've been married 40 years, and I've got a a great marriage. Even though she's a woman, I'm a man, and that causes problems, right? (laughs) So... um, Maybe I will preach an hour. This is a great audience here. Um, <laughs> you're listening. That's great. But, but, but I'm talking about real history, right? Am I hitting you where you are? 
And the reason that you have this unsettling feeling is because you know down deep that something's wrong. So the question is that being if we died in Adam, and I'm, getting, I'm going to get to the text, okay? <laughs> I really am. This is all kind of the big picture here. Um, because I want you to walk out with something you can ha handle and go, oh, I've never thought about that. Which uh, Jonathan Edwards said, the mind is the gate of the heart. If you bypass the mind and all it is is experience, then you got nothing. But if you're like a lot of Presbyterians and you get it up here, but it doesn't come here, you got nothing. But if those two things come together and you go, oh, I am part of redemptive history. I am a son or daughter of Abraham. Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Instead of six points to how are you going to be a better husband? Well, I break every one of them all the time. But I'm in Christ. And he loves me. And if my wife knew me the way Jesus does, she wouldn't like me anymore. And if you knew me, Travis, the way I know me, you wouldn't let me preach. But the great thing about Travis is I know he believes the same way. Okay, so the question ends up being, and I'm, I'm getting to my point before I read the text. I'm almost there. So the question ends up being, if it's Genesis 1 through 3 and we're already dead in Adam, then you remember years and years later, but, but God made a promise that there would be another Adam. That's, that's the, what the whole Bible is about. There'll be a second Adam. And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but the man from heaven, he's not of the earth. He was not given a spirit. He gives life. But he had to be a man to do that. You got it? Sometimes I think we think of Jesus as a superman. But this great mystery that I know he believes is that God is, uh, Jesus is two distinct natures in one person. He's fully God. And do you know that he's a human being in heaven right now? You know he was raised with a brain and hands and feet? Do you know he has human emotions in heaven right now? But let me ask you this. Did you know that as a human being, he had to learn obedience as a man for our sake because you're not obedient. And that person sitting next to you, you think they love you? Hmm. They try. <laughs> but we're to love with all our heart, soul, and our mind and to God and people, right? And Jesus comes as the second Adam. And not only did he keep the law, not only did he do it, but he did it because he loved God. And he did it because he loved us. And if I didn't believe that, I'd be selling insurance. I'm serious. I would not. When I was a chaplain at Vanderbilt, I was your token conservative guy, whatever you want to call me. Orthodox, I like that word better. Conservative is kind of like, oh, he's a Republican. No, no. I'm orthodox. Okay? I'm an old-timey Presbyterian. But, um, but I used to wonder, why, why are you guys, y'all were, were, don't believe all these things, and you believe it's all okay, and why aren't y'all nicer to people? No, seriously. Okay, so, so the question is that being, if we all died in Adam and you're born dead in sin, does the Bible teach that? Because you're born under that covenant. And so if you're going to try to keep the covenant of works and try harder and be better, you realize how pathological you're going to become. You're either going to become a Pharisee and you're going to become self-righteous or you're going to go do what I see tons and tons of younger people who think they got it figured out, that there's no meaning, there's no purpose, and you go into despair. And you sit around and talk to each other about how there's no meaning. I'm talking about evangelical people. And they think real spirituality is just being discouraged all the time. And then you're not responsible for anything. And I'm not trying to dog anybody, but I've been working with college students for 33 years, Okay. 
But let me tell you, the, the, the God gives 10 more commandments. Do you remember that? He gave 10 commandments. He redeems Israel. And why did he redeem Israel? Because he made a promise. And they were the church of the Old Testament. So remember, he doesn't tell them to keep the law, and then he redeems them. Remember, the law didn't come till after they were redeemed. Remember that. It's called the indic indicative before the imperatives. <laughs> okay? So you're in Christ before you have to obey Christ. But if you try to obey Christ to get his favor, then you are got the imperatives in front of the indicatives. Does that make sense? And you're unhappy. Or you're self-righteous, one, or, or clueless. Okay, so the question ends up being, why did God give ten more commandments? If, he, if you're already dead and out of them, and the one's been broken, by the way, he only gave one commandment. Don't y'all think that's pretty cool that God only gave one? And you know why he gave that one? Is so he could say, hey, look, I'm God, you're not. And you're going to be a lot better off. You know why so many, so many of us are so screwed up, especially in a, in a post-Christian culture with all you got is your iPad and your tablets and all that kind of stuff is because you're living in your heads. Okay? So God gives ten more commandments at Mount Sinai because Paul says the reason he gave it is so that sin might become exceedingly sinful. And I'll tell you, you do not know Jesus Christ if you, by the Holy Spirit, have not been taken to Mount Sinai before you've come to Mount Calvary. You're going to think, I need a little bit of help, and Jesus is my helper, my co-pilot. No, 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 no. You need, I'm just telling you what I believe. You don't have to believe this. But I think the Bible teaches you need a substitute. And Travis and I understand that. That's why we have great fellowship together. And he's our substitute, right? Okay, so here's the thing as we come to our text. And I'll be shorter after I do the text. But my, my wife says, honey, you give the longest introduction to sermons. You've got to shut them, cut them down a little bit. But, but so you're not justified work by works. Has he ever said that you're justified by works? Has Travis ever said that? No, he's never said. That's why I love Travis. That's why I want all churches preaching that gospel. I, if you go to my church, that's great. If you go to his church, that's great. If you go to a church where we're preaching Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his substitutionary atonement, then awesome. But you need to be there every week, by the way. <laughs> And if you're not, it means you don't need grace. It means you got it figured out. You know, I don't have anything figured out at some level, okay? Okay, so, but if you're justified by faith, not by your performance, and all of life is about your performance. How many college students are here? Raise your hand. Any college students? Are y'all trying to get a degree? Right? Are you having to perform to get your degree? Yeah, right, Okay. And then don't we have to perform to get the right guy? You know, your hair has to be this way, or the guy has to, you know, be whatever. I don't know what guys are anymore. Um, but it's all about performance, right? But you see, but, but you cannot perform your way into heaven. This is why we're so screwed up. And so you need somebody to perform for you. And that's why Christ came. But... So you put your faith in what God the Father has promised in His Son that He loved us so much that He gave His Son to undo what Adam did. And so you're either in Christ or you're in Adam today, period. And if you're in Christ, it's because you've been born again by the Holy Spirit and you've been set free. 
But I don't care what hoop you jump through. If you're an Adam, you can jump through all the hoops you want to, but you're still dead in your sin. That's the good news. Okay, so let me ask you this. If we, it, so if we're, if we're justified, I'm doing pretty good. I feel like, uh, I feel like Johnny Carson. Um, but, okay, but if we're justified by faith, okay, and we go, okay, we're justified by faith. But your faith doesn't grow. Do you know the Bible says the just shall do what? Live by faith. Now let me tell you who I want to address today. And I'm sure Travis will be willing to get together with you. I'd be willing to get together with you and you can just keep coming here. But uh, um, I bet some of you are doubting the faith. And if you've never doubted, then let me quote Augustine, that great theologian. He said, doubt leads to certainty, and certainty leads to doubt. They say, well, I believe these things. Yes, I got it, I got it. And then all of a sudden, all hell begins to break loose on your life. And you're confident right now, but the definition of confidence is what you have five minutes before you know the real situation. (laughs) Right? You, You feel pretty good right now? Well, Travis is 41 years old. He's less confident about his abilities than he was when he was 21 years old. And she's probably thankful that he's a little bit less cocky. Like, he is so, he is so clueless, he has no idea he can't do that. But, okay, so, that, so that's what, can, is, can we read this text? Because I'm telling you, if you're not living by faith, you don't have Christ. But there's a lot of confusion about what faith is. Is it something you work up in yourself? Is it, hey, I do believe, I do believe you're like the lion in the What's that movie, uh, uh, Wizard of Oz, right? I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in Jesus. In fact, uh, Flannery O'Connor, the great author, she, she used to call Christ, she was a Roman Catholic, she called the South the Christ-haunted South. Because you know enough to be dangerous. You know enough to go out. I'll probably out not be doing that, but hopefully Jesus forgives me. Rather than him being your life, The Apostle Paul didn't say, he didn't say, um, Jesus must be the most important person in your life. He said, for me to live is what? Christ. Why? Because by faith, and I think it's the work of the Holy Spirit, and you're in Christ when he died 2,000 years ago, and the Holy Spirit comes, and he opens your eyes, and he makes you alive, and you go, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. And he says, yes, but it's you I've died for. And then you get united to Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I don't know how it is today, but it used to be the bride, bridegroom chooses the bride and give her, gives her a, a last name. And then she has a new life and a new together. They have this life together. Do you know how difficult that is to say with you younger people under 25? In a culture that's so egalitarian that and people don't realize how satanic that stuff is. But the whole idea is that when you become one with somebody, that's your life. Okay, so, I bet y'all are thinking, man, that's a great sermon. We're done. But I did, can I take another 20 minutes? Okay. I just want to know where I'm coming from as we look at a text. So let's look at the text in the context of what I've been saying about redemptive history. And uh, look at uh, Mark chapter 4. Y'all know this passage. It's in several Gospels. Um, But it is the Word of God. So let's read God's Word. And this is the only time I'll let you look at your iPhone, okay? 
Uh, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us across, go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they, they took, him, uh, took him with them in the boat. By the way, this is early in the ministry, very early, chapter 4. Got it early in the ministry. Got it? They're trying to figure out who he is. And leaving the crowd, they took him, uh, I'm sorry, in a, great, in a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking in the, into the boat so that the boat was, filling, was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? But I'm sure they didn't put it quite in that English. Well, you don't care. You don't care that we're perishing. You don't care. <laughs> okay? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind? And the sea obey him. Let's pray. Father, in the moments we have looking at this text, we pray that it would become living and breathing and not just be words on a page, but that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through the living word that he himself moved Mark to write. Father, I want to pray especially for those today who are really hurting. Maybe their parents are getting a divorce or... They don't know how they're going to pay for the next semester or they lost a loved one or a loved one uh, just was diagnosed with cancer, whatever it may be. Father, I pray that they would know that you're not unaware and that everyone in this room, you would give them the grace to see with the eye of faith and cut through all the stuff that just unsettles us all the time. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Um, so I'm, I'm a father of four. I have um, four children. I have uh, several grandchildren. So I became a father at a very early age. I was 24 years old. At least I think that's particularly today. It's kind of early. And I, I'm a fairly new believer. I've been a Christian maybe four or five years. The reason I married Mary Beth because she loved Jesus Christ. We wanted to serve Christ. That's, and that's always been the goal. That's always been the thing. In fact, my wife, when I was 28, she told me I ought to be a minister. And she didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We didn't grow up in Christian days, okay? But that's another story. But I wanted to be a good dad, right? You want to be a good Christian dad, right? You're trying to be the dad that you want to be. You're newly married. You want to be a good husband. If you're just starting to date somebody, you want to be a Christian to that guy if you're a woman. And, and vice versa. You got it? You want to? So it's kind of funny. You get older, you go, man, I screwed that up. I screwed that up. I mean, <laughs> you know? Okay, so I wanted my son to never doubt, my oldest son, Ben, I never wanted him to doubt that his father loved him. I will always be there for you. But then, when he's about three years old, he had this huge uh, adenoid problem. Anybody ever had an adenoid problem? Yeah, there you go. 
You know. So, but when he's like three years old, snot's coming out of his nose, and he's going around, you know, his mouth open all the time. He looked like a dumb bunny, you know. So I don't know you're smarter than you look right now, but anyway. Uh, so, so, anyway, I, so obviously we had to do something. And we had to take his adenoids out. So he's three years old. I love my son. He loves his daddy, right? But he's three years old. And so I take him up to the hospital. My wife says, oh, would you take him to his pre-op? And I figured out later why she wanted me to take him to pre-op. So I take him up to pre-op. And I thought they just... Man, I didn't know what pre-op was. But guess what they had to do? They had to take blood out of it. And so here's my son, and I'm um, finding out they're going to have to take blood. And, and, the, and so the nurse says, listen, could you kind of hold your son while I take the blood? I'm like, well, sure. So she comes in the room, and she's got a needle that long. You ever had your blood taken those great big old needles? I'm like, are they so long? They don't stick them that far in. in, in. But, uh, so immediately he jerks back, right? And I am... Um, it's killing me because he's three years old. All he knows is there's this woman here that I'm let hurt him. Now, that's not the bad part. The bad part is she's trying to get blood out of that vein, and uh, she must have been just out of nursing school because she wasn't too good at it. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he's just screaming, man, I'm holding him down, and I'm, I'm just... She can't get the blood out of his arm, right? So she's taking the tourniquet off to put it on the other arm. I can almost cry thinking about it. He turned around and looked at me all his tears, and he said, Daddy, you going to let this woman hurt me anymore? And I had to let him do it again. You know, when I was going home that day, I, I started thinking, well, what is my son going to think about me? How can he understand, right? He's three years old and we've had this great. Here's my daddy's always been great. But now all of a sudden, who is this man that lets this, this woman come poke holes in me? I think you know where I'm headed on this, don't you? Y'all pretty smart people. But, um, but I thought, well, it doesn't matter what my son thought about me at that time. That relationship might have been broken. There might have been a mistrust that's there. But you know what? My son's married now, and he doesn't walk around with his mouth open. He it's not coming out of his nose, and I'm sure his wife appreciates it. And I'm sure he appreciates <laughs> the fact that he, she probably got married because I dealt with it. Okay? Now, let me, let me tell you, guys. God is concerned about your health. You understand that? He's concerned about your health. You get to be my age, it's like, you're still concerned about my health, right? Yeah, he's like, yeah but you're going to die. But... But uh, he's concerned. He, he, he's concerned about every detail of your life. And if you don't believe that, you're a practical atheist. You're not really a Christian. Christian is theism. You believe God is involved in every detail of your life. Well, that's what we're supposed to believe, right? And, uh, but, 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 at the, but just like your heart is the, the centerpiece of your, how your body functions, let me tell you, at the centerpiece of your spiritual life, and I hate to use spiritual life because that's kind of Greek, spiritual and body. It's all tied together, okay? But it's faith. And God is determined that your faith grow. And sometimes for your faith to grow, you don't want it to grow. You, you want to go home and everything's fine this afternoon, don't you? 
And you want to make good grades, don't you? And you want to be able to lose the weight right very easily like I've been trying to lose. Oh, yeah, it comes right off. All you got to do is watch TV and take that pill. Whatever it may be. <laughs> right? But God is committed to your faith growing. If you're a Christian. And growth is to a certain extent. So we grow up. So that we might care about other people. But the only, here's the irony. The only way you can grow up as a man or a woman of faith is to become like a child. You start going, well, whatever the father knows. And so as my son grew older and other things I had to say, it's like he has a track record. Well, my father knew best. And so now we have a great relationship. You see? So just, just, uh, just a couple of things to see. Here, here's, here's the things I want us to look at. And by the way, I, I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know if you believe it. I don't know if you don't believe it. I don't know if you thought, well, hey, I really love Jesus and I love coming here, but since I started coming here, my life's gotten harder. And I'm glad Travis is all excited about it, but I ain't too excited. But, you know, he's 41 years old, and he has some track record of having legitimate excitement based on plowing through. So I like Travis. He's got a good pastor. But here, here's the thing. Number one, you're, the testing of faith is inevitable. It's going to be tested. Number two, often when tested, we fail. And then finally, and here's the main thing I want to drive at, and so stay with me. It's in the testing of your faith, if you're a Christian, that you will see God in ways you've never seen him before. Come on, you're like me. You want, you'd much rather go to, see, uh, go to Atlanta, see Georgia play and win the championship than you had suffer. I mean, if you got free tickets, if you want to suffer, give me the tickets, okay? But um, <laughs> so I'm glad you got that, Jesse. Okay, so here's the first thing. The, the testing of our faith is, is inevitable. Okay, so if faith in the person and work of Christ on our behalf is at the heart of Christianity and not your performance, not having quiet times, not trying to share your faith, not doing all these stuff that when you're parents and you grow up that way, we screw our kids up because we're so busy, worried about how we're doing that we don't really concentrate on teaching our children. Hey, it's okay. Let me ask you, is it okay if you're in Christ today? Did he accomplish the work 2,000 years ago? Is every sin you've ever committed, has it already been paid for? Is every sin you're ever going to commit, if Christ substituted for you and you're not in Adam but in Christ, are you free? Yeah, I always tell our people, you're either struggling to be free or you're free to struggle. Now, which one would you rather do? Struggle, you will. Had you not rather be free to struggle? Rather than struggling with all these intellectual doubts. And, and if you have questions, I mean, I'd like to talk to you because, I mean, I used to talk to students all the time. And unfortunately, some of them remained in doubt and not in faith, but they put their faith in their doubt, not in, in Christ. Okay, so if, if, if it's not about works, but then what we need to do is we need to put our faith and trust in Christ. If he's accomplished the work, would you like, for you, would you like to grow in an understanding of really believing he's already accomplished the work? Okay, the only way that's going to happen is, is the object of our faith is certain and true, but your faith must grow. Now, there's a lot of confusion about faith. A lot of people think faith's something you work up in yourself. Maybe you think that. That, that would be belief. And even the demons believe. They don't have faith. 
So if we talk about the grace of God and we say you're saved by grace through faith, would we say that really faith is a gift of God? In fact, I would tell you the work of the Holy Spirit, he has a job. He didn't die for us, did he? Did he? No, because he's a person. There's another mystery. Three persons, one God, Holy Spirit. Did the Father die for you on the cross? No, did Jesus die for you on the cross? After Jesus died on the cross, did he accomplish the work? Was anybody believing apart from the Holy Spirit? No. Could you say that Jesus would have been a failure without the work of the Holy Spirit? But that wasn't his job. The job of the Holy Spirit is to come to you, and I don't want to be too Presbyterian here, okay. but let's just assume that you're dead in your sin. Does the Bible say that? And the Holy Spirit comes and he wakes you from the dead and he unites you to Christ. Look, if you put a bunch of weight on a dead man in a morgue, is he going to feel the weight of his sin? No, he's dead. He's dead in his sin. Now I've had people say, oh, I don't believe in all that weight of sin. I say, well, if I took you to a morgue and put a thousand pounds on that guy, is he going to care? And so you don't feel the weight of your sin because you're dead in your sin. But the first thing God's going to do to show you the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to take you to see that you're alive unto death. And the law does its work, and you say, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Okay? So it's important that your faith grow because I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has not changed toward you in all your unbelief, in all your failures. And I, hey, listen, if you don't think that, I know that about you. You're, you always tell people, cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have no idea the depths of sin because you're united to Adam. But now we need to grow in our understanding of what Christ has done. Okay, so now think about it this way. So if you go to school... You have to get educated, right? And you get educated, and you get degrees, and you get degrees. Now, what's the point of, the, of, the, of, of taking tests? And I'm talking about you're going to be tested. The point of taking a test is this, the teacher's going to go, do you understand what I'm saying? And you take the test. And if you make an A, they go, yeah, you got to buy an A understanding of it. you got a C, they're like, well, you kind of understand. If you're, if you're F, you don't understand. Y'all do know that's the whole educational system, right? But think about it this way. Think about the importance of passing tests uh, for society. Would y'all say it's important that if you go and you, you need brain surgery for your child and you go into the doctor's office and he's a brain surgeon and he's got a diploma, he's got one diploma and it's uh, Clark Central High School. <laughs> Would you say, hey, can you, do you... Do you have any other degrees? Oh, no, just got an got a education from Clark Central. Would you let him cut on you? No, because we want to make sure, and this is why it's so hard in it, we got to take tests, because if you have an accountant, you don't want him to screw your taxes up. If you have a doctor, you don't want the doctor to screw you up. If you go to a counselor, you want to make sure the counselor knows what he's talking about, because there's a lot of crazy counselors out there. Okay, especially the ones that probably came out of Princeton and whatever, but it's another story. <clears throat> okay, so, so do you understand the testing of your faith is inevitable? So here's Jesus. Let me tell you what's the context here. This is early in the ministry of Jesus. Some commentators say it's the longest, that's the longest day in the life in ministry of Jesus. Now, if you're a disciple, and you're like, man, what time is he going to get through preaching? But he's finally through. 
It's 8 o'clock at night. And he says, let's get on the boat, and we're going to go to the other side. Now, when you be thinking, man, vacation. You know, we're going to you know, shoot a bike and sing a couple songs and coast along. You're thinking that. They'd be thinking that, right? And then here in the midst of them thinking that we're done, they're not done. Because, you see, Jesus was going to test them on what they had learned. About the kingdom. Go look at the parables. All these parables. Do you know about the parables of the kingdom of God? Are you even interested in them? And if you read them, do you understand them? But he wants them to understand. But he gives them a test, and it's not multiple choice. It's out there on that lake. Because he's the almighty God. So they, right? The two things they learn on that lake, and I'll be brief on both of them. One is, the first thing they learn is, uh, testing never comes at a convenient time. Right? I always tell people, one of my mottos is, Lord, I thank you that I finally, finally hit bottom. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, John. Okay. Okay, so let me, let me give you an example of that. I didn't really want to be a minister. My wife told me to be a minister. Everybody told me I ought to be a minister, so I went to seminary. And that's called an outward call. And you need to have an outward call. But you know there's an inward call. And I don't want to be a preacher. So the whole time at seminary, I'm wrestling through being a minister. I just wanted to be a normal guy. And we're not normal. Okay, so, uh, so I get out. Finally, God gives me the call. I go to Mississippi State. Uh, within a month, I've been there a month, I'd worked a small group Bible study from 10 down to zero. <laughs> okay, so, and I'm already thinking I shouldn't do it. And wh what have I done this? God, why have you done this to me? <laughs> right, and, and you, you're men, you know, failure's not an option for men. Y'all, you ladies, I know y'all don't understand. It's just not an option. Okay? So, uh, so I go home that night, and I think it can't get any worse than this. I'm like, hey, so honey, how's your Bible study go? Well, well it went okay. Um, no, nah, I told her, so nobody showed up. And uh, so I'm thinking it can't get worse than that. Would you? That'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? And because I'm, I didn't want to be a minister anyway, and now God's going to show me why I shouldn't be a minister. <laughs> and uh, humiliate me. And I got this wife, that I'm trying to fake it a little bit, that, hey, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. And um, so... <laughs> So, so, uh, so I'm thinking it can't get any worse than this. The storm's already raging, right? And I'm still hoeing. I'm not hoeing, paddling. And uh, so uh, I get a phone call. I call my mother because I'm the youngest of six boys. My oldest brother, uh, who I was very close to, was gay. And I loved him. He didn't believe the gospel. Uh, and he was out, out when it wasn't okay, right? This was back before it was okay. And it might be hard for some of you younger people to understand it. But he had lived with uh, Mary Beth and I um, uh, earlier that summer, and we shared the gospel a lot with him. And, but, um, so I said, how's Jimmy doing? She said, well, I'm concerned about him. I said, what way? I'm concerned he's going to commit suicide. I said, you don't need to worry about that. He knows he, we love him. The brothers love him. We accept him, and we accept his boyfriend. He knows that we, that's not where we're coming from, but we're just like him. We just need grace, and he needs grace, and he doesn't understand grace. So I went to bed telling my mother, He'll, you know, that is never going to happen. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from my dad that Jimmy had killed himself. So, so when you think, hey, Lord, could you do this maybe after the Bible study is going well? At least that's going good. So, so number one, the tests never come at a convenient time. And, and number two, they're often overwhelming. 
When they do come, they're overwhelming. Now, I don't know about you right now, but you might be thinking, I'm done. I, I, there's no way I'm going to make it. And, and so when I'm riding home to, to Greenville, I, this is Mississippi. I'm, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. You think I'm not starting to do a lot of theological jargon in my head? I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reformed guy. And I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. And I believe in the absolute responsibility of human beings. I believe these things. But as I'm riding down the road, and my brother, unless there was something to happen, my theology says my brother perished. Now let me ask you something. Would that make you maybe not want to be a minister? Start being bitter toward God? And so I was like, well, I'm wrestling with it. And God very clearly said to me, do you think I'm sovereign? Do you think I'm in control of the universe? And the only answer I could give is if you're not sovereign, this would be worse. Let me ask you, your situation right now, if God is not in control and absolutely sovereign over it, would you really almost fall into utter despair? You're questioning. And so I said, Lord, I know you're sovereign. That's the only way I can deal with this. And he said, well, number two, do you think I'm good? I'm like, well, and I want everybody to think about this. If there's, if there's no God and there's, God's a person, then there's no such thing as good. It doesn't come from rocks. And who defines the good? I said, Lord, I know you're good. And he said, trust me. 1985. So I had, to, I had to become more like a child. You understand what I'm saying? I had to get all my theology, and I believe in theology. But I had to, all that stuff is so I could become like a child. So you got that, the, 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 the testing of your face is inevitable. And I'll be brief on the last, uh, next two. Often when tested, our faith fails. How do these guys do? <laughs> Let me tell you what they did. Um, they said, you don't care if we drown. You ever said that to God? You don't care about my eating disorder. You don't care about my addiction. You don't care about my situation. And if you did care, you're doing nothing about it. So what difference does it make? I, I tend to want people to tell me the solution to my problem. I, it's just me. Instead of saying, I'm so sorry, Hal. I'm like, thank you, but we're going to do about it. <laughs> right? Uh, help me out here. And, and, by, and, by, and it's, a, it's a flaw. I probably need to see a counselor about that. But... Um, <laughs> But let me tell you, when they come, when these trials come, every one of them said, you don't care if we drown. So when it is tested, it fails. Now, why does it fail? Well, number one is because even though they have Jesus on the boat with them, we're not in heaven yet, are we? And there's so much teaching that's always trying to bring Jesus from heaven down here. Down here. And then they all got it all figured out. No, 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 no. He is in heaven and you're going there. In the meantime, we live in a world the way he lived in the world and where there's storms when he was in the world. Did he have to submit to the Father's storms that the Father brought in his life? Did Jesus, who's a human being, did he have to learn to live by faith? Yes. Because we don't. God demands a perfect faith. Did he have a perfect faith? Yes. 
submitting. I mean, throughout his life, I mean, how many times did Jesus say, man, Lord, how much longer do I have to be with these guys? <laughs> no, right? So we live in a world that's, that's broken. It's, it's going to be broken. Look, if you go to see me on pre, if you're married and you need help on your marriage or whatever, come see me. I'm not going to fix you because I haven't fixed my own marriage. But I love my wife. And I'm like, honey, I have no idea how to understand what you're dealing with. But we're going to do it together. But, but you see, that's why we're to live by faith. We're to trust that when these things come, that God even wants to temper your marriage. Thinking about it another way, Peter says that all these trials have come in your life so that your faith, which is much more precious than gold, or whether Georgia beats Alabama, which I want them to do desperately, <laughs> but might be proved to be genuine. Because you see, if all you have is belief, but not faith, then you're, then you're believing in Jesus and doing your own thing. The essence of what it means is that he's greater than anything in your life. You get married, you find out, my wife's awesome, but you know what? She's, you know, I probably need to love her in some areas that I know I was going to have to love her. And so what God does is if you're going to make a window pane, you burn out all the dross and the window becomes very clear. Not to see the window, but to see through the window. So when we're growing in our faith and we're becoming more childlike and we're believing the gospel and the resurrection and there's a power about our lives, not because we read the latest, greatest book, but because we're becoming more like children and believing what Jesus Christ has promised to you, then all of a sudden people start seeing right through us and they see Christ. It's that all the murky stuff because we don't live by faith. All right, last thing, because I need to leave you the good news. Because you get tested and you fail. I'm being honest, aren't I? But we need to end with this. It's in the testing of your faith. Like you might be going, well, God, why is this happening to me? Why can't I get over this addiction? Why am I so lonely? Why won't you bring somebody into my life? Why can't I meet Mr. Wright? Or why can't I meet a girl that I really want to marry? I could go on and on, right? Why don't I have better finances? Why didn't I have the better job position? I didn't end up being 50 years old and I hate my job. And I could go on and on and on. I don't know what your situation is. But the question ends up being, well, it's not a question. Those guys got to be on the boat, didn't they? He healed all the other people. But he wants them to understand that all the healings, everything, everything is to show that he is the pearl of great price, not whether you get over your addiction or not. Not whether you're going to be able to be beautiful or not whether you're going to have X, Y, and Z. But he is for everybody. Now, where do we see that? So what does he do? Does he say, okay, I, I'm, you guys are sorry. I'm going to let the boat sink. I'm going to walk across the water, and I'm going to get on the other side, and I'm going to get me another 12. Maybe they'll do better. <laughs> right? Seriously. Then he might have gotten you. And yet, what do we spend our whole lives on trying to be like disciples? Let me tell you what a disciple is. Someone who falls, but they fall forward. And they're going to fall into Jesus Christ. I don't care what the theology is. Because he's a great pearl. Now, why is he a great pearl? What does he do after they accuse him? He just gets up. Now, imagine, put yourself on that boat. He gets up on that boat, and he says, calm, be still. Now, what does the text say happened? It was like, 
And by the way, it was, a, it was a hurricane. It was 75, 80 mile an hour wind, according to the Greek, but I didn't want to impress you with the Greek, which I just impressed you with. But so it just, boom, it stops. Could you imagine? Sky's clear. Now, were they afraid But when they were getting ready to die? Are they afraid again? And what, what did they say? Who is this? <laughs> oh, you're a prophet. You're doing some really cool healing. and That's awesome, but even TV preachers do that. But I guarantee you, there's never been a TV preacher that's gotten on front of a boat and told the, the hurricane to stop. So you see, it's in the testing of your faith. Maybe the very thing right now, you're ready to pitch the faith. You're ready to become cynical. And that's so easy. Come on, man. I'm sick of cynicism. Aren't y'all sick of cynical people? Aren't you sick of your own cynicism? Yeah. Okay. But you see, if you just ride the way through, and God has brought these things, at the very point you're ready to, to deny the faith, is that the, 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 all of a sudden you see Christ in ways you've never seen him before. I need to con conclude, Okay. So I want to bring the gospel in here. Here's what's amazing about this text. Okay? Can y'all think of another guy on a boat in a storm in the Old Testament? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Jonah, right? Not Noah. He was on a boat, but that one brought judgment on everybody. So here is Noah. I mean, sorry, Jonah. He's on a boat, isn't he? But he's not on a boat. Uh, it's kind of like my wife said when she told me I would go in the ministry. She said, I think you're going to Tarshish and you need to go to Nineveh. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you need to be a preacher. That's what she said, no lie. Very eloquent. And, um, but anyhow, so that's another story. So here, you know, he's not, did, did he obey God? Nope, he's going to Tarshish, right? Does the storm come? Did God want him to go preach to Ninevites? Can God get the job done? Yes. Does Jonah finally go, okay, you know, I'm the problem. They throw him over. And by the way, the sea is chaos. Just in the Middle Eastern mind, ancient mind, it is, ooh, you don't want to be on that boat in the sea because all kind of stuff in there we can't see. Does God save Jonah? He gives him a well, doesn't he? And, uh, and if you don't believe in Jonah well, then you, you talk to Jesus about it one day. No, because he said that's the sign they'll come back to so, so God saves him, doesn't it? So Jonah goes and preaches. Now, what is Jonah's uh, attitude toward all the Ninevites after he preaches the gospel and they repent? Yeah, I knew you'd do that. I know that you're merciful. I knew that you would save the enemies of your people. Great guy, right? Okay, now here we go. Here we have Jesus on the boat. Was there a, was there a storm? Two natures, human and, and God nature. Was it hard for him as God to get on that boat and tell that ocean to be still? Nope. But let me tell you what. Jesus is Jonah. And Jesus is thrown into the chaos of all that stuff that's underneath you that nobody sees. Your pathologies, your sin, you're looking at things you ought not look at, having attitudes toward people. Whatever it may be. And all the law is is to tumble the waters so it might stir it up so that you might see it. Let me ask you something. When Jesus is a human being, he goes into that water, doesn't he? 
on the cross. And guess who didn't save him on the cross? His father. Matter of fact, the only time he doesn't call God father, uh, father is when he's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? I'll tell you why. And here's the good news. Is if you're in Christ then all your sins were taken off you and put on him and he was thrown into the chaos of your sin whether you understand how bad your sin is or not. But he was raised. And if you're in Christ, are all your sins buried in the chaos of all that stuff? Is he, there's, no, there's no sea in heaven. Doesn't mean I don't think there's going to be an ocean. But there's no more sin. There's no more craziness. We're not hiding from each other when we go to heaven. Isn't that great? So let me conclude by giving you a couple of quotes. There's this verse that I remember somebody said, it's not mine, that said, faith that glances to Christ brings us to heaven. But faith that gazes at Christ. I, I you read your Bible. You have fellowship. You go to church every week. Brings heaven to earth. Um, I like the Puritans. I was reading the father of the Puritans, Richard Sibbs. You can write this book down, A Breaking Read and a Flo- uh, uh, Smoking Flies. Great, great book. But somebody said of, of Sibbs that heaven was in him before he was in heaven. You, you, you want to bring heaven to earth? Let me tell you what. You, you submit yourself to Christ, and then you're going to suffer. And then you're going to become like Christ. And then other people are going to believe because... You have true faith because the object of your faith is in heaven. And then one day, we'll be over our suffering (laughs) and over our things. And we don't need faith in heaven, do we? In the meantime, you do. So brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through. Uh, Probably most of you are going through something. I want to encourage you to trust God. Rest in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I spoke longer than I thought I would. And, uh, but I pray um, that in all the words, the simplicity of what I'm saying would resonate. Uh, Lord, I pray for anybody that's here that might not know you. Maybe they believe, but they've never put their faith in you. They're trusting in everything but you. Lord, would you cause them to put their faith and trust tonight, this morning, in Jesus Christ? And Father, for all of us who are believers, uh, probably us that are older believers, uh, I guess that's over 40, um, we, we realize more and more how apart from your mercies that are new every day, we would be utterly ruined. But we thank you that they are new every day because we're united to Jesus Christ and all his righteousness. And the only thing that we can add to the, thing, the finished work of Christ are our sins that crucified him in the first place. So we thank you for your mercies and your grace. Bless Awakening. Bless Tra- Travis and Jessica. Father, I pray that you bless their marriage, bless this church. Uh, Father, bring people to Christ through this church and help this church grow.